0: The story you were about to hear is true. Attention, all true. She's alive. I'm very lucky that I had a sister who enjoyed going to the movies. Now, I didn't always get to choose what movies I wanted to see, although I could nag her and eventually get her to take me to a movie that she might not wanted to see. But often the best memories I have of my time seeing movies with her were movies that completely surprised me. We had a movie theater in our town, We were also pretty close to major metropolitan areas, New York City being one of them, so our movie-watching options were fairly sizable. One of the movies that my sister took me to see, and I did not expect this, was The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. I was very young at the time, but I was blown away by it. I thought it was the greatest movie I had ever seen at the time. I love the characters. I love the humor in it. Just everything about it pleased me. When I went home, I wouldn't stop talking about this film. I was convinced it was going to be the next Star Wars. There would be action figures and multiple movies. They even claim there's going to be a sequel at the end of Buckaroo Banzai, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. So I'm talking this up a lot, and my friends are getting interested, and then Buckaroo Banzai never shows up in our town. Never shows up in the local theater eventually one of my friends heard about the movie probably from some reviewer on tv who did not like it and the film was not very well received it also didn't do very well nobody had seen this film and yet i was ridiculed this was a time before everything was instantaneous and so i couldn't even try to prove my point that this was a great film i had to wait until this movie came out on vhs and it felt like it was forever before it did. And eventually it would come out on VHS, and eventually it would get onto cable television. When I worked in the video store, I had it on all the time, trying to convince people it was great. The good news was when my friends actually got to see it, they got the humor, they identified strongly with the characters, they themselves could not understand why Buckaroo Banzai was not a hit. I don't think I'm able to properly speculate as to why All I can say is that having gotten to see it when I did was a very special experience for me. And being able to share it with people who hadn't seen it made me feel like I was part of the film. That I was its advocate out in the wild trying to convince people this movie should have been something more. And I guess that's why I wanted to talk about the film today. The film has a pretty big cult following but there's still a lot of people who haven't seen it so I'm hoping that if I talk to you about it maybe you'll decide to pick up the DVD, rent it from some streaming service, and enjoy it. So on today's show I'd like to talk to you about the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension which most people will just call Buckaroo Banzai. We'll talk about the people behind and in front of the camera, we'll talk about the inspiration for it, we'll talk about the music, we'll talk about the plot, and we'll throw in a few surprises. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai is a 1984 sci-fi adventure, comedy, romance directed by W.D. Richter. It is about the very talented Dr. Buckaroo Banzai, who is a test pilot, musician, neurosurgeon, physicist, and just all-around awesome guy who... After mastering interdimensional travel, has to face off against the red electroids from Planet 10. Now, that summary does not sound just quite as unusual as this film is, and we'll go into the plot a little bit later. But first, I want to talk to you about the character that probably most inspired Buckaroo Banzai, Doc Savage. Doc Savage was created decades ago, came to prominence in the 30s and 40s. He was created by publisher Henry W. Ralston and editor John L. Nanovic. They worked at Street and Smith Publications. There were illustrations by very talented artists, if you're into illustrators. Emery Clark, Modest Stein, Robert G. Harris, Paul Orban, and Walter Bamhofer worked on it. While Savage got his start in the pulps, he would go on to make appearances in radio, film, and comic books and is probably the forerunner of almost every modern superhero. That's not just according to me, that's according to Stan Lee, and he knows something about superheroes. Savage, whose real name is Clark Savage Jr., is a multi-talented fella, very similar to Buckaroo Banzai. He is an adventurer, inventor, researcher, musician, physician, just like Buckaroo, he can do it all. And he also surrounds himself with a group, a very talented group of people who also have specialties. And in Doc Savage, those characters had nicknames, names like Monk, Ham, Long Tom, Johnny, and Rennie. These same things would be repeated in Buckaroo Banzai, where you'd get Rawhide, Reno, New Jersey, and of course, everyone's favorite, Perfect Tommy. I've always been surprised that Doc Savage is not more popular. He is certainly inspirational. I remember gobbling up softcover books that I got my hands on when I was a kid about Doc Savage. Turns out I'm not the only one who loved these things. Shane Black, very talented writer-director, is saying he will do a Doc Savage movie. And from what I've heard most recently, The Rock has signed on to do this film. The great thing about Doc Savage is there's a certain lightness to it in the same way that there is to Buckaroo Banzai. So I'm hoping they really deliver on this and that we get a great Doc Savage movie that spawns lots of sequels and will hopefully spur more interest in the return of Buckaroo Banzai. The man who directed Buckaroo Banzai is W.D. Richter. He was born in 1945, screenwriter, film director, producer, Probably best known for his work on Buckaroo Banzai as a director. He also worked on Invasion of the Body Snatchers and co-wrote Big Trouble in Little China. The film was written by Earl Mac Roush. He's probably best known for the screenplays for A Stranger is Watching, and The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. The story of how Buckaroo Banzai came to be is long, and there's lots of great stuff online about how Roush would eventually come to write it. He would start writing these stories and would build this Buckaroo Banzai universe, but he wouldn't often finish the stories. And so he kept writing other things and would have things produced, but it would take years before The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, as we see it, came to be. There were were a lot of great material that would make it from very early drafts into the final film. Things like Buckaroo Banzai's jet car, the Hong Kong Cavaliers, his group of, I want to say, merry men. One thing that did change was Buckaroo's surname. He changed it from Bandy to Banzai. Which was an interesting choice, and what we get is a merging of Eastern and Western cultures in one person, which in the early 80s and into the mid-80s seemed even a little bit more, say, poetic, because there was a bit of a fear of Japanese buying in America at that point. And to have a character who brings both of those worlds together and is a superhero is a beautiful and wonderful statement. By the time the film was shot, Richter had a 300-page book that had notes and incomplete scripts, all from the stuff that had been written over the years. Principal photography began in September of 1983 and was filmed around an industrial suburb of L.A. called Southgate. What's amusing to me, being from New Jersey, is that a lot of the locations that are mentioned in the film are supposed to be New Jersey. And yet it looks nothing like New Jersey, which I don't think occurred to me the first or maybe even the first 30 times I saw this film. But it's fun when they shoot things which are very obviously not a place and you're very familiar with them and it doesn't even occur to you. Nowadays, I guess I'm a little more savvy about that. The film had two cinematographers, Jordan Cronenweth, who was the initial Director of photography, and then he was replaced by Fred J. Konakamp. They have a very different look. From what I've read, Cronenweth was a little bit more art housey, and the producers of the film wanted to look more like Raiders of the Lost Ark, flatter, more two dimensional. So they insisted that Konakamp come in and finish it. Michael Riva was hired to do the pre-production work as a production designer and came up with a very unique look for the aliens and a lot of the crazy props in the film. They did a very interesting thing with the spaceships especially which translates into how everything works with the aliens in the film, they didn't go with a metal spaceship. Instead, they did more of an organic, almost oceanic look. And it gives these aliens who are masters of dimensional travel this unpolished look, which gives this film a uniqueness that was very different than the films that were inspired by earlier films that were science fiction. Films like 2001, the Star Trek films and TV show, and even Star Wars. I mean, the Millennium Falcon could be a mess, but not as messy as some of the these ships you'll see in buckaroo bonsai after these messages we'll be right back i don't know grace oh, come on adam i can't it's easy i've never ridden one it's quick i've never ridden anything ever it's fun i don't even drive Under scooters They're everything but ordinary. It's sexy. I'll take it. I'll take you. Can anything stop the animal? The animal. It's a big, powerful four by four. But when the going gets tough, it wears its claws to climb over anything that gets in its way. The The animal. The animal can anything stop the animal the animal animal clawing its way to the top the animal each sold separately batteries not included new from galoom and now back to the show now i'm going to talk to you a little bit about the plot of the movie try not to give too much away but there will be some plot points given away. Retro Art Blog, a friend of mine, was kind enough to send me a Christmas gift this year. I have a Viewmaster of Buckaroo Bonsai, and on the back of the Viewmaster, which I'm holding up and trying to show to the microphone as if you could see it, is a summation of Buckaroo Bonsai. So I think this Viewmaster summation is better than anything I could come up with, and will hopefully fill in exactly what's going on in Buckaroo Bonsai. So here we go. Buckaroo Bonsai, brain surgeon, scientist, Race car driver and rock and roll singer is caught up in a struggle to save the Earth from destruction. Driving his magnificent jet car, Buckaroo goes through the 8th dimension where evil red electroids from Planet 10 have for years been exiled. Their leader escapes to Earth. A black alien from Planet 10, John Parker, delivers an ultimatum to Buckaroo Banzai. Either the leader of the red aliens, John Warfin, is stopped before he returns to Planet 10, or we fire a nuclear weapon from your airspace to Russia. This will be taken as an american first strike and the russians will be certain to retaliate that will be the end of the earth a showdown between these dangerous red aliens and the good black aliens is now close at hand with the help of his rock band the hong kong cavaliers buckaroo has until sundown to act he finds the unwieldy spaceship in which john warfin plans to return to the planet 10 buckaroo and john parker hide in a pod of the ship the big ship rumbles and makes a violent contact with the runway It's mad inventors inside. As it lifts off, Buckaroo and John Parker ignite the engines of the pod. Then Buckaroo fires at the big spaceship. Contact! Collision! Destruction! The Earth is saved! Another glory for Buckaroo Banzai! Alright, so that is pretty awesome. And I hope the person who wrote that at the Viewmaster International Group back in the mid-80s won some sort of award. Other Viewmasters you might enjoy from the time include Gremlins, Sports Goofy, Night Rider, The Last Starfighter. I am interested in every one of these. Oh, Flying Smurf. I might be even more interested in that one. Ah, oh, that's awesome. So as you've heard, I mentioned the Hong Kong Cavaliers. These characters are his band and his sidekicks they are very similar to Doc Savage's Fabulous Five, and I will be mentioning them in the film by their code name. Only one of the people in the Hong Kong Cavaliers is referred to by their real name, but that's because he joins the Hong Kong Cavaliers during the film, and that is New Jersey. Also, there's another group, the Blue Blaze Irregulars, who are sort of the auxiliary for Buckaroo Bonsai, because not only does Buckaroo have this core group of people, but he has an almost unlimited amount of people willing to come to his assistance at the drop of a hat. He is that amazing. The cast of this film is immense, so I will try to go through it quickly and talk mostly about the main characters. I wish I could talk about all of them, but we'd be here for 6 hours and nobody wants that. Peter Weller played Buckaroo Banzai, renaissance man and all around awesome guy. Richter, when he was casting the film, wanted an unknown and they looked at a lot of people. Eventually they decided on Weller who was still relatively unknown. Weller was born in 1947, still working today. When asked who he based his character on for this film, he said Jacques Cousteau, Elia Kazan, Albert Einstein, Leonardo da Vinci, and of course, Adamant. John Lithgow played Dr. Emilio Lizardo, also Lord John Warfin, the exiled leader of the Red Electroids. He is described as similar to Earth's Hitler, so he's a pretty bad guy. Born in '45, Lithgow has worked in a ton of things, won Tonys and Emmys, Golden Globe Awards, you name it. Maybe people remember him from... Third Rock from the Sun, but he was in films like Raising Cain, Cliffhanger, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, The World According to Garp, Twilight Zone the movie, Shrek, Harry and the Hendersons. He is a great actor, perfect villain for the role, and his accent is amazing. From what I understand, when Peter Weller first heard him doing this crazy accent, which I think was based on maybe a costume person who worked on the film, he couldn't stop laughing. Ellen Barkin plays Penny Pretty. She's a woman who is the identical twin of his dead wife Peggy Pretty. Ellen Rona Barkin was born in 1954, still working today. You might know her from her work in Tender Mercies and The Big Easy. Clancy Brown played Rawhide. This is one of those rare instances where you get to see Clancy Brown play a good guy. And Rawhide is Buckaroo's right-hand man. It appears, and this is going to be a spoiler, that Rawhide dies in the film. Now, I was a big Rawhide fan, and every time I'd see this, it really kind of bothered me. But, as we would find out later in the DVD, he does not in fact die. He is quite alive, he was preserved, and that would explain why in the end credits of the film, he is with the group, strutting down in that wonderful concrete river. We'll talk a little bit about that in a few. Rawhide is the piano player in the Hong Kong Cavaliers. Pepe Serna played Reno Nevada. He's the saxophonist. He's also romantically involved with another of Buckaroo's teammates, a woman who's not seen in the film because she's in Tibet. Her name is Pecos. Lewis Smith plays Perfect Tommy, which is the best name for any character in any movie. He's the rhythm guitarist, and he's perfect. We know he designed the jet car's suspension system to allow it to grab the ground while it's traveling at supersonic speeds. Very important, so that it could cross dimensions. The part of Perfect Tommy was originally offered to Michael Mattson, but he had to turn it down because he had a scheduling conflict with the film The Natural. Jeff Goldblum played Dr. Sidney's Weibel, better known as New Jersey. We don't know what role he's exactly going to play at this point in the Hong Kong Cavaliers, but he says he plays piano, dances a little, sings a little. He's the rookie member of the Cavaliers. Goldblum, besides Jurassic Park and Independence Day, he's been in a lot of other films. Billy Vera played Pinky Carruthers, who is the bass player in the... Hong Kong Cavaliers, he's also one of the Blue Blaze Irregulars, so I don't know what the politics of being a Blue Blaze Irregular and a Hong Kong Cavalier is. Maybe he's even more special. When they did the DVD commentary, which is kind of that pop-up video style, you get Pinky Carruthers' information that illuminates and fascinates. Robert Ito plays Professor Hikita. Ito was, to me, best known for his work as Sam on Quincy M.E., And he really wanted this role enough that he wore his own makeup to the audition to make himself look older and he does a great job in the film. And there were scenes that were cut out of the film that showed him as a young man, along with Buckaroo's mother and father. His mother, famously played by Jamie Lee Curtis, and you can see a picture of her in the jet car. Didn't really add too much to the film, but it does explain a lot that we don't get from the film, especially what happened to his family, how they died, and also who this massive other villain, which we find out will appear in the second Buckaroo Banzai film. But doesn't because there was never a second one christopher lloyd played john big bootay sometimes known as big booty although he'll correct you a lot christopher lloyd doc brown from back to the future and who's on taxi don't think anybody needs to know any more about him rounding out the cast you had rosalind cash as john Emdel, carl Lumbly as john parker vincent schiavelli as John O'Connor, you notice all the electroids have John as their first name, Dan Hedeia as John Gomez, Matt Clark as the Secretary of Defense, oh and Yakov Shmirnov as the National Security Advisor, which is very 80s feeling, worth mentioning. The music in Buckaroo Banzai is, now I'm going to put this out there, maybe one of the greatest soundtracks made during the 1980s. The theme song, the score, is so very original that if you haven't heard it, I would suggest you just go get the album and listen to the soundtrack. So good. Film's music coordinator and sound designer, Bones Howe, worked with the musician Michael Boddicker, and he is the one who wrote and performed the score and did the theme music and sound effects. This doesn't include the arrangement of Buckaroo singing, Since I Don't have you to penny pretty in the music club that was bones that song since i don't have you which is very nice although i think the original version by the skyliners which is a doo classic is a little bit better fun fact weller is actually quite a good musician he played the guitar and the trumpet and he would do his own vocals and he had to learn to mime piano during the film. The electronic score, though, is what I think is worth listening to. Boddicker was Howe's first choice. They had worked together on the soundtrack for the film, Get Crazy and Boddicker had just won a Grammy for his work on Flashdance for Imagination. Boddicker was born in 1953, has won a ton of awards, did a lot of great things with synth music. One of the greatest pieces of music are the end credits, and there's this great scene during the end credits where the Hong Kong Cavaliers and some members from the Blue Blazer Regulars and some of the Red Electroids are walking through the... L.A. River, I guess, and they're strutting and walking together in unison while they're walking down the L.A. Riverbed. You're hearing this electronic music, but they didn't have that music ready at the time. And so I found out what they were really listening to while strutting was Uptown Girl by Billy Joel. And I have listened to Uptown Girl while watching that. And it does sort of match up, play around a little to get it to match up. But it is not quite as evocative. If you've seen The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, which is a Wes Anderson film, he does a very similar one-by-one, everybody-joins walking shot. And it's a direct homage to the end of Buckaroo Banzai. We'll return after these messages. Come back to Jamaica. Come back to gentility. What's old is what's new. Come back to our beauty. We want you to join us. Come back to our people. We made it for you hospitality so make it Jamaica come back to our bounty make it your own. come back to tranquility make it Jamaica come back to romance your new island home. come back to the way things used to be make it Jamaica again and make it your own make it jamaica And now, back to our show. So, the people behind the film thought this would be very popular amongst certain members of our society, those who maybe like science fiction, and they hired... Terry Erdman and a team of publicists to go out and promote the film, and they would give out these free bonsai headbands. And those headbands are really difficult to find. So if you see one, grab it. If you see one online for sale, tell me about it and don't buy it, and I will buy it because I would love one. Unfortunately, the studio didn't really try to push this film through any sort of real traditional promotion. Instead, they did some magazine advertising, mostly in comic books, and were hoping for, I guess, what would be at the time, viral marketing. And that's because they didn't really know what to do with the film. It's complicated, and it has a lot of different plot points. Even John Lithgow said when he would try to explain the plot to the film, it would take about an hour. And he liked the film. He just knew it was a very complex film. And that explains what I'm about to tell you. It was supposed to be released on June 8th, 1984, but pushed back to August 15th. Films in theaters at the time include Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, Ghostbusters, and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. It would make $620,000 on its opening weekend and would go on to grow $6.2 And it had a budget of $17 million. So not good. Although when you read critics' reception at the time, It almost seemed like they wanted to enjoy this film, calling it unusual, referential, hip even, maybe foreshadowing the fact that this film would go on to become a cult classic. At the end of the movie, the film invites you to come see the upcoming sequel, Buckaroo Banzai vs. The World Crime League. Unfortunately, Because the movie did not do well, the studio that had been formed to even create these movies folded, and we never saw more Buckaroo Banzai. When it was released on video and television, though, the film became that cult classic, kind of the way Mad Max had, which was released in 1979. And you would think, well, it's suddenly become very popular. Maybe we could get those sequels going now. But because of legal wrangling and the bankruptcy that had happened, the film's sequel rights got bogged down. And it just never happened. And I think that this film was even a difficult sell to get released on DVD. So we're very lucky we have that. And the home video release of the film is great. That DVD that they released in 2002 has a lot of great features probably one of my favorite dvd releases just because it has lots of extra information it's very well done and that is why i'm very happy that this film is finally going to get a blu-ray release in the united states it has already been released i believe by arrow video on blu-ray in the uk has a great cover but shout factory is going to release the blu-ray in august of 2016 so not too long from now according to Everything I've heard, there were substantially longer versions of this film that were shown to people in screenings, but none of that test print material ever has shown up in any of these releases, although you do get some deleted scenes in the DVD, including that one I'm telling you with Jamie Lee Curtis as Bonsai's mother, and that makes it worth owning just for that. Now, we didn't have other movies, but we did have other Bonsai-related stuff, including books and comics and a video game. Marvel and Moonstone have released comic books, and there was a novelization of the the film released. The video game was an interactive fiction game for early computers, including the Atari 8-bit, Apple II, Commodore 16 and 64, and the ZX Spectrum, which was created by the very talented video game creator Scott Adams. Just a fun little fact, if you're a player of the game Battletech by FASA, there was references to Buckaroo Banzai in that game, and I remember scratching my head wondering how did Buckaroo Banzai figure into this world. It turns out they were just big fans and sadly there was never any rights given and slowly but surely the Buckaroo Bonsai references or just the Bonsai references were removed from the game. So, if you have early versions of BattleTech, more power to you. Get Buckaroo Bonsai out there fighting the good fight. Buckaroo Bonsai against the World Crime League, which was the proposed sequel, would have shown Buckaroo face off against his arch enemy, Hanoi Zan, who we never see but was supposed to be referenced in the film but all of those references were cut out of the theatrical release but are available on the DVD version Zan was the head of the mysterious World Crime League and the person who murdered Buckaroo's parents and his wife Peggy now there's been a lot of talk recently of trying to get Buckaroo Banzai back as a television series in 1998 Fox tried to do it sadly nothing ever came from it just recently Kevin Smith, director of clerks and mall rats has stated that he is trying to shop the idea around he is a big fan of buckaroo Banzai, trying to get this off the ground hopefully he will do a great job and we will see buckaroo Banzai on the small screen and maybe maybe just one day back on the big screen and am will only speculate who might get that lead role be exciting times after these messages we'll be right back who used it ruled photon the ultimate laser battle game and now back to the show buckaroo Banzai is a great film And it's considered a cult classic now. But it's so much more than that. It's the story of a character who triumphs by their brains and their bravery. And now, he might not be considered cool in the sort of aggressive, high-energy way of the modern hero. But he is thoughtful and he cares about people. And you could see that in the music club scene especially. Where he is concerned that one person is upset and not enjoying themselves. And this film spoke to me as a young person who's trying to look for role models in film. He was this kind, intelligent adventurer, surrounded himself with wonderful people who he could count on, who respected him. I know a lot of people like anti-heroes and lone wolf dark characters. And what I like about Buckaroo is that he is not those things. Would he have been capable of being those things? Sure. But that's not the life he chose. He chooses to make the world a better place, not just on a big level but even the world of the people who he interacts with on a regular basis. And that's why I think this movie is worth you watching now. So if you have the time, maybe this weekend, fire up Buckaroo Banzai. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist.com and twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you have musical needs, you can email peachy at peachy at retroist.com. This is my 200th episode of the Retroist podcast. And I don't usually add anything to these shows, but I thought I would mention that. And uh, thank everyone who's been listening. It's been very interesting to do this. And hopefully I will continue to release episodes on a fairly regular basis. And you will continue to listen. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the show. And I hope you have a great weekend. There you go. There you are. This has been a Retroist production. Goodbye.